is really exciting to see. I don't know if you are uh, probably not as emotional as me. We all know that. Um, but it's, it's just there's something so moving about seeing families up here uh, lighting the candles and, and declaring the truth of Scripture to us. You know, we, we talk all the time about how we are one body. We're essential to each other. The Scripture tells us that there's one body, one faith, one baptism, one spirit, one God, the Father of all who is above all and in all. And we are one, united in His Spirit. And sometimes we get in these patterns of believing it's, it's about the heroes or people who are particularly specially gifted in X area. In fact, Nathan preached about that last week. And we talked about how, how we are all gifted. If you're a believer, you're gifted. And, and it might seem, some things might seem so small or some things might seem so grander, but it turns out that we, we have church and we all gather together and we seek Jesus together. And he gives us these gifts. And to me, seeing these families come up here and light these candles, such a powerful thing. Because as a church, if you don't know this, if, if you're new here or, or whatever, our church values and we come together, we're going to read the word of God and we're going to say, how do we follow King Jesus? Because this is eternally true. This will last forever. My words come and go, <laughs> whatever. But whatever the scripture says, that's what we hold fast to. And so when we do, uh, when we do our services, we're saying, man, we want to pray the word. We want to sing the word. We want to show the word. We want to preach the word. That's why we gather, right? And that's why I approach it, because of the word of God, because his words are life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And I'm just, I'm so excited when we have all this participation, see people just to look around and see us worshiping together. It's a beautiful thing. If you don't have a Bible, uh, grab one. They look like this. They're in the seats in front of you. Again, this is why we're here to read the Word of God, to talk about it, to have the Spirit speak and make sense to us what, what God is trying to say. So get a Bible in your hand. We're going to be in Romans 12. Uh, and if you don't know, we so we're kind of at the end of this thing we've been doing all year. Uh, we've been reading through the Bible together. And in case you're sick of us saying this every week, we've been doing the Bible recap. And so we've read the whole story of Scripture together. And we've been preaching on it. And sometimes, you know, it's like, man, we're going to talk about these big things. If you remember, you know, we preached on the theme in Scripture of trees and mountains. And we teach about how temple is a theme all through Scripture. We talked about the Holy Spirit. We talked about priests. We talked about prophets. We've talked about these huge themes over and over. And then sometimes we drill in really specific specific and say, man, this is, this is what we got to preach this week. And, and typically when I'm studying the Bible, I just, man, I see it all connected, right? We showed that graphic of the, the thousands and thousands of interconnections in scripture, which must be ordained by God. That's kind of how I read scripture. Sometimes there's uh, when Adam or Nathan, they get kind of like dig in. Okay. These are, these are the couple verses or whatever this week. I'm just so moved by the spirit that we need to just land in Romans 12, one and two. That's what we're going to be doing this week. There might be a few other things along the way, but if you could turn to Romans 12, uh, this week we've got some Paul stuff because he wrote the majority of the New Testament. So last week we had some Paul stuff. This week some Paul stuff. Adam will give kind of his whack at Paul next week. And then we're at Christmas and uh, December 25th we're going to talk about Revelation. Weird. What a weird Sunday. You should be here. It's going to be wild. So we're going to do that. And then next year, we're going to have uh, a time of, of prayer together early January. Then we're going to uh, go through the Worship Connect, Grow, Go Things, our church. And then we're going to read the Gospel of John slowly forever. It might take us several years. Who knows? But we're going to read through the Gospel of John and continue to follow Jesus. Does that sound good? Cool. I told you with the future so you feel more comfortable. I don't want you feeling uncomfortable. Like, man, what are we doing? I know I move really fast and I talk. We've got some plan here. We've got some structure. Calm down. Romans 12. 
Let's pray and then we'll read it. Actually, let's do the other. Let's read it and then we'll pray. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Pray with me, church. Father, we ask right now that your spirit would speak, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear. God, amongst all the, the planning, the preparation, the, the postures, the baggage, the, the world, the flesh, the devil, the things that, that try to insert here, we pray that you would cast all those things aside in the name of Jesus and that we would hear you speak that we would understand uh, false narratives in our lives, that we'd understand what it means to be transformed by you. We'd understand your mercy. God, speak to us now. Thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for bringing us here. Amen. Um, one of the most minor meaningless offenses in my life is when people have an exchange with me that goes something like this. Hi, I'm David, right? And so, that's a, say, so I say, I'm David. That's not your name, but that's okay. And then a few seconds later, someone says, okay, nice to meet you, Dave. Does anyone have that? Is your name that way where someone just like, they decide they can reduce it on them. They say, hey, I can just, hey, Tish, that's not my name, right? No offense if you call her Tish. Um, she hates it. No, I'm kidding. Uh, maybe, I don't know. So someone, some people call me Dave, and here's the issue. Uh, the reason that rubs me wrong is not like a power control thing, like you don't get to decide what to call me. I'm David. It's not that I want to be robbed of the other powerful uh, sound in my name, Dave. You know, it's not, it's not that tension. It's not that I like that they're taking steps away from a palindrome, and I wish my name was more like a palindrome, like Anna or Hannah or those cool names. Um, what a useless thing to say. Sorry. Anyway, um, it's that my dad's name is Dave. And in college, I had a mentor, just a beloved guy that taught me so much. Man, if, if you knew all the things that Dave taught me and they were just listed on the screen, you'd be like, man, David's never said anything profound. He's just literally taking from people that have spoken to his life, which is the church. That's King Jesus. Thank you. He speaks to us and he speaks to us as one body. But Dave was a mentor of mine. Uh, Dave Bennett was his name. And he meant a lot to me. He passed away. Um, but when someone calls me Dave, I kind of have this step back like, oh, that's not me yet. I'm not Dave yet. I haven't, haven't been there, if you know a great Dave, if you know one, it's like, okay, that's not me yet. I'm not there yet. So don't, don't do that. Right. Dave Bennett taught me a lot. And one of the things we circled so much is Romans 12, one and two. He taught me about spiritual disciplines. He taught me about having an authentic relationship with Jesus. He taught me about putting myself in a posture to actually follow God with all of my life, not just the parts that I wanted to trust God with. He pulled me out of addiction. He taught me how to have right relationships with people. There's a lot of things there. Uh, And so I talk a lot about Dave, but uh, we want to talk about scripture. So we're reading Romans 12, one and two. Who wrote Romans? Paul, fantastic. What do we know about Paul? You Sunday school teacher, Bible nerd people, just shotgun some information about Paul. He was educated. Yeah, educated. That's right. Yeah, there you go. He's very educated. Super. Yeah. Any other things about Paul? From Tarsus. Yeah, he did. That's right. Yeah, he was responsible for a lot of people's deaths and persecution, right, from the early church. He has another name. Anyone? Saul, right? And that's his, his Jewish name. Fantastic. His Hebrew name. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Paul refers to himself by this word quite a bit in the letters. He's a what? That's right, servant. What's the other word? 
Apostle. So many times you refer himself as an apostle. What is an apostle? One who is sent out. Whoopow! There it is for you. An apostle is one who is sent out. There it is. Now, here's this interesting thing about apostles. Because we have the apostles. And there are a lot of faith traditions that have different views about the apostles. In scripture, apostles is a similar word to priest, to deacon, to prophet. One word has many layers of meanings and context kind of gives us clues. There's actually a place in the Bible where Jesus is referred to as the OG apostle, right? But Paul is an apostle. There are gifts uh, that were given to the church of apostles, people who are sent out to speak. There are some people today in church planting world that are called apostles because of what they do. And so wherever you land on the apostle conversation, maybe you believe there's only these original ones plus Jesus or whatever. Uh, in general, I tend to land on... Uh, when Paul says it's a gift, I think we have apostles. I think that there are people who are gifted in apostleship. In fact, that's really where I land in life. Um, my path in life was wanting to be a church planter. Uh, I had a tension of being planted anywhere because I always wanted to go. And I see these connections. In fact, if you want to understand a real, real passion of Paul apostleship, read the letter to the Corinthians. Read Romans. He's so passionate about them. Like, guys, don't you see? You're the body. We don't have time for this sexual junk. We don't have time for you messing up uh, um, eating meat offered idols. And we don't have time for all your squabbles about the Lord's Supper. We don't have time for all your arguments about spiritual gifts because Jesus is Lord and you must be unified by him. Does that sound familiar? Those things I teach every week because there's an apostleship that comes out of me. It says, man, we have got to be one body. We have got to be sent out as one. That is the only hope for the world is King Jesus. Amen. And so, so this is where it comes at. Paul is an apostle and that's what he's teaching. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, he comes in and he has this pastoral passion. He starts by saying, therefore, I appeal to you, or I appeal to you, therefore. What do we know about therefores in scripture? Hey, what are they there for? Look at you, Bible nerds. Let's talk. I think I have a slide for Yeah, when we see a therefore, we ask, what is it there for? Just say that as cheesy and annoying as you can in your mind. It'll help a lot with reading Paul. I know it sounds really cheesy and lame and like a Bible nerd thing, but the thing is, Paul writes kind of like uh, uh, legal treaties or whatever. If you ever read like legal documents or a constitution of something or, or the bylaws of an organization, it's just like... <laughs> It's, it's philosophy. It's, it's the idea. It's like every premise builds on it. And so Paul's always saying, because of this thing, because of this thing. And in Romans, you have this context of he's using a therefore here that has been built on several therefores. Like here in a minute, we're going to read Romans 5, and there's a therefore there, right? And then before that, use another therefore and another. So there's small therefores that he has that are building within certain contexts. And then in Romans 12, you have a big therefore. This therefore is actually connected to everything in Romans 1 through 11. Romans 12, therefore, is everything. So because of everything I said in the first 11 chapters, right, one might call this a big therefore, maybe even a there five. <laughs> Come on. Come on. That's too good. This is Paul's there five. Ah, that's lame. <laughs> That's it. I don't have any more jokes. That's enough. Listen, what he says is, I appeal to you. This is his appeal. Because of everything I've said thus far in Romans, and we ain't got time to talk about first 11 chapters of Romans. Go and read it. But Paul says, because of everything I've said, this is what I want you to know. This is my appeal by the mercies of God. And so then Paul summarizes, every, what is chapters 1 through 11 about? The mercies of God. 
The context of Romans is that there is churches in these Romans areas in Rome, and Paul's longing to go to them, but there's this huge tension because you have Jews who approach Christianity this way because they have a Jewish background. And then you have Romans or Gentiles who approach Christianity this way because they have a Gentile background and they just can't get along. So much tension, kicking each other out, arguing over things. And Paul spends 11 chapters saying, you know what? You both got problems. You're both sinful. You're both not special. You're both separated from God because of your sin. This is where we get the famous Roman roads verses, right? For all have sinned and fallen short. All, all people. Hey, Jewish readers, you've sinned. Hey, Gentile readers, you've sinned and you've got sin and you've got sin. It's just all over, right? Paul wants them to understand, ain't nobody here special. And even if you think you're special, you're still marred by sin. Even if you are God's chosen people for the world, you haven't been doing what God called you, so you still have sin. So everyone's messed up. And so Paul's saying by the mercies of God, this mercy that he's been emphasizing the whole time is that Jesus has brought everyone together, unified by the Spirit of God because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. That's why I read this morning, light this candle because of hope we have in Jesus through his life, death, and resurrection. Romans 5, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Paul wants everyone to know when they're reading this, You are only right before God because of your faith in Jesus. And so when he says here, therefore, I appeal to you by the mercies of God. Those mercies are that you can stand right with God because of Jesus. His spirit is in you. Jew, Greek, Gentile, slave, barbarian, Scythian. Some people pronounce it Scythian. It's confusing. Wherever, male, female, Paul covers the gamut. He says, you only are right because of Jesus because of what Jesus has done. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul unpacks this to the Corinthians, and he says a, a particular phrase I think is helpful. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but I always want to make sure we understand the word righteous because we have this understanding that righteousness is a set of acts that we do. Righteous, man, that's righteous, right? And we have this like like posture in which if you do these, these are righteous things and these are unrighteous things. And that, that kind of gets there in shorthand, but it kind of robs the understanding of the word. Righteousness is a relational word. Righteousness has always been about relationship, about relationship, not about all the perfect acts that you do, but about a right relationship. And so a good way to think about it would be uh, Cohen. It's his birthday. He's my oldest. He's 11. Um, Cohen. uh, Yeah. Uh, So uh, you all, except for Nikki and I, will have a very different relationship with Cohen his entire life because you're not his parents. I'm his father. And it would be an inappropriate relationship for Adam or Keith or anyone else to try to be Cohen's father because they're not Cohen's father, right? And so a righteous relationship between me and Cohen is where I act in the right ways as his father and he acts in the right ways as my son. An unrighteous relationship would be when I act less than the father that I ought be and he acts less than the son he ought be. This is how the relationship between humanity and God got separated. He created us to be good, to worship him, to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
and we chose to go our own way, to separate. We wanted to be like God. We wanted to decide good from evil for ourselves as the serpent tempted us. And so we all have this sin. We're all separated. But thanks be to God that he made him who knew no sin. Jesus had no sin. He became sin. All the ways you rebel against God, all the ways that you mess up, that you don't even recognize that you're too prideful, that you're too ignorant. Right? Jesus became all of that sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. And Paul's creating an argument in 2 Corinthians where it's not just that you have a right relationship with God. You become the right relationship with God. You have it bared on you. Paul says before that, that you're ambassadors, that you're reconciles, that you go out and you make right relationships with others. In Christ, you tell the people, hey, you don't have a right relationship with God. You're doomed. The only way you can have a right relationship, the only way you can live rightly at all is to look to Jesus. Because he made him who had no sin, who knew no sin, to be sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. It's a relationship word. I want us to take a moment to pray. I want to stop here before we just unpack Romans 12, 1 2. And I want to pray. I, we talk all the time about looking to Jesus. We talk all the time about, I mean, just open your hands and look to Jesus. That's what we say. That's our shorthand for acknowledging that I don't own anything. I don't control anything. Jesus is king. And I'm going to open my hands to him. And I felt led this morning that there's a moment here that we need to stop. Just have a moment of silence, and maybe you just want to open your hands. We'll call it a pre-response response. If you are a type A person, you really need a category for this in your brain. Or maybe you don't need a category. It needs to be uncomfortable. But I want us to open our hands and recognize maybe you don't have faith in Jesus. Maybe you haven't been justified. Maybe you don't have this right relationship. And if that's you, this is a moment. This is a moment by God's grace, by his love for you, whether you're watching at home, whether you're sitting in this room, this is a moment to open your hands and say, man, I acknowledge that I don't trust you in this part of my life. I don't trust you with my life, that I don't have faith in you, that I haven't been justified, that I could be eternally separated from you. If, if you could, just f- for a moment, open your hands, bow your heads, and take a moment to talk to Jesus. I'm going to read these verses again. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you have faith in Jesus? Do you have peace with God? For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you have a right relationship with God? Are there people on your heart right now who don't have a right relationship with God? Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will. We already talked about by the mercies of God. God's mercy, it's brought those who put their faith into Jesus into a right relationship with him. Everybody comes in through that. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe right now you decide, hey, I need to give my life to Christ. And we'd love to talk to you about that. That's both a personal and a corporate decision. You do that in front of other people, right? It says if we profess with our mouth and believe in our hearts, there's two sides to it. But he says these mercies of God, he says, present your bodies as living what? sacrifices. What happens when things are sacrificed? They die. 
And so this phrase living sacrifice is confusing. And to us, the language of sacrifice gets really lost because we don't do sacrifices in our culture. Like, like you've never been in this room, probably, I haven't been here for 75 years, but you've probably never been in this room where someone's brought an animal on stage and, and you know, slid its throat. I don't want to get too graphic here and make people sick, but it's just a mess. I don't know if you've ever seen a sacrifice or, or different cultures that still do this, but uh, it turns out creatures bleed a lot when they're slid through. I mean, it's just a mess all over. The readers reading this, you'd have two flavors of this. You'd have some people reading this, Jews, and they'd say, oh, we know sacrifices. These animals are, are in obedience to God. We sacrifice these animals uh, so that there are things that are made right, so that we're doing things right in the name of God, so that we're following the laws. So that, and there's all sorts of ways that gets adulterated, as we've read all through the Old Testament. But then the Gentiles, they would understand sacrifices as maybe not just bloodshed, but also um, uh, sexual activity things that, that are off. Uh, imperial worship, where they would sacrifice things for Caesar, right? Uh, Greek worship, where they'd sacrifice things for different gods so that they would appease their flighty emotions here and there because the gods were all over the place. You had to appease them. And so when Paul comes and he says, living sacrifices, he's building off this idea that previously he said that the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead is in you. And so you've experienced this resurrection. You aren't dead. You are a lot. You aren't dead in your trespasses. You're alive in Christ. And so you live as a living sacrifice. And he wants that phrase, reader. He wants that phrase to make you be like, wait a minute. A living sacrifice. That doesn't make sense because sacrifices die or they're burnt up or they're gone. He wants you to understand that this is a posture for the rest of your existence, for eternity. You are sacrificed. Everything you do belongs to the Lord. They're living sacrifices. Because they've been raised from the dead with Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, he's saying, hey, what do you do with all this mercies of God stuff? If you have followed Jesus, if you've been justified by your faith, what do you do? You follow Jesus as a living sacrifice. Your life no longer belongs to you. It belongs to him. Every part about that. What part of your life has not been sacrificed to him? Or maybe to, to help from the sacrifice language that might make people uncomfortable because we don't quite understand sacrifices. Maybe think about what in your life you haven't trusted in him to make right or new, to be compelled by his love. Because we, we all know that the Lord told us the greatest commandment is to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so therefore, what it means to be human is to be a heart, soul, mind, strength complex designed for love. Hi, I'm a human. I'm a heart, soul, mind, strength complex designed for love. That's what it means to exist. Poof, I answered it for you. Okay, so then what am I doing with that love? Well, the things in my life are either leading me to love the Lord or leading me away from loving the Lord. And so what parts of your life are pulling you away from that? What parts of your life have you not sacrificed? Have you not trusted? Have you not given to the Lord? This is why we teach this posture. This is why we pray the Spirit reveals those things to us. Because all through Scripture, there are people who think they get it and they don't. Because all the Proverbs warn us that you can think you're wise and it's leading you to death. Because there are lies and narratives and stories that bleed into our hearts and minds. Because there are forces bigger, more powerful, and smarter than you that are known as the father of lies that are trying to pull you away. And so what parts of your life maybe don't belong to Christ that you haven't trusted in? That's why Paul says, I urge you, therefore, I appeal to you. Everything in your life must be a sacrifice, all of your bodies. And then he goes on to say, how does this happen? How do we make a sacrifice? How do we sacrifice what does it say? Do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Isn't it interesting? He goes to mind. Man, 
I think there's a lot to say there about mind, about the word repentance, but maybe we'll hit on that here in a minute. But he says, do not conform to this world. Who's got another translation? This is uh, the ESV we read here. There's another word that's sometimes in there. Do not conform to the patterns. Yeah, that's how I memorized it originally, right? Old Dave Bennett. But uh, do not conform to the patterns of this world. And it's because this Greek word for world, it's actually not the same word Jesus uses when he says, for God so loved the world. It's a different word for world. It means it's the same word he uses there. I am with you always, even until the end of the, it's on the sign. You can look at it. Age, yeah, yeah. Age, world, right? And so it's this word that means, hey, the the things around you, the way, the schema of life in the current part of your existence. And so the end of the age would be the end of whatever the schema of the current patterns of existence around you are, which is Jesus's point. I'm with you forever. You can't imagine why I'm not with you because I have all authority. That's the point. This is what Paul is saying here too. He's saying don't conform to the patterns of this world. The the schemas around you, the things around you. What grabs, some of us would call it the drive, the focus, the, uh, the attention the world craves from us. What demands your attention? Maybe it's got your attention right now. You're not even listening. You're not even looking. You're not, you don't even have your Bible open. It's like, ah, there's other things to think about. There's other things to do. Sorry if that offends you, but why are we here? Like, we're either here to seek King Jesus or we have a stupid hobby. Like, gosh, pick up golfing. I think golf's so boring, but go, go golfing. If this isn't true, quit gathering and pretending. If King Jesus is who he says he is, it must demand all of our life. If it doesn't demand all of our life, it's not true. And what evil's trying to do is put all these false stories in our minds to make us conform to the patterns of the world. And Paul says, based off everything I've said, I've unpacked for you about salvation through faith alone. I've unpacked the Jewish issues, the Gentile issues. And Paul comes in and says, you know what you need to know? Stop conforming to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We all live a story. And, and I need to save you for a minute, because sometimes when people hear a story, they, they already think of, of fiction. That's not what the word story means. Get over it. Story does not equal fiction. I'm sorry that your grandpa told you stories and they're always lies. That's not what the word story means. Story is just a story. We all have a story. It can be fiction or nonfiction, right? But stories are stories. And all of humanity, all of existence, in fact, some authors, some sociologists say all the universe is story. And the reason they say that is because you can't find a discipline that doesn't come back to a story. The reason we trust certain scientific postulates is because of the stories in which they were founded in and the the story of how people found them, right? The facts are there, but the story within the facts give us understanding, right? And so the same thing with philosophy. Philosophy is always explained with different stories, different case scenarios. Oh, imagine this world. Imagine this possible world. Stories ground us. That's why all of our entertainment is stories. So we're wrapped into these things. And your life is a story. There's these ideas, these things that drive you. And maybe you like the word narrative. Maybe you like the word drive or focus, whatever it is. But when we die and people talk about us, they will tell stories. And those stories will place us in who we were. People aren't just going to get out their list of David facts. Here are 15 David facts. Boom, 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 boom. No, eulogies are stories. People, when we do funerals, we like people tell stories, right? It's the whole idea. You get that concept. Stories then, as they draw on the captivate us, it makes sense that they can either be true or false. They can be lies. They can be deceptions. They can be partially true. If everything's a story, then we're all uncomfortable with spins, things that are dishonest. In fact, we even use that phrase sometimes, ah, he's, just, he's just telling stories. He's just, grandpa's just full of stories. Because we understand that stories can be twisted. They can be adulterated. It makes me think about if 
The devil is the father of lies. If we're not supposed to conform to the patterns of this world, what are some false stories, false narratives that bleed in our life? I've got a list here that I think is helpful. Uh, I've got a definition for false stories. We'll show you. False stories are narratives that give you a vision of the good life. Blessed. Asher, right? In Hebrew, this is the good life. This is what it means to have it all, to be what you ought to be, right? Narratives that give you a vision of the good life, but ultimately lead to chaos and death. So we're going to talk about some of these. And maybe these hit on you. May I pray by the Spirit of God that, that he moves at the false narratives in our life. And maybe this is an exhaustive list, right? I'm going to tell you some of mine that might not fit in here. Romanticism. It's the story in our culture that says, you are your emotions. Man, I really feel it in my gut. I was really moved by this. And if something doesn't come back to you or your emotions, the reason we have this whole false idea of love being love is because we've defined love as just this feeling you feel when you feel this feeling you've never felt before that's super feely powerful. It's a meaningless definition. Love is love. It doesn't mean anything. That's why scripture tells us what? God is love, right? Love is commitment and sacrifice. We see that through King Jesus, who's so committed to us that he obeys his father. He comes, he sacrifices the Lord, who's so committed to us that he gives his only son in love for us because love is commitment and sacrifice. And so we have this romanticism, this false story that says, you are your emotions, whatever you believe. Consumerism, it says, you are what you have. Hey, what's really important is if you could just have this thing. Man, once, once those solar lights work on your fence, David, once the sun's out a little longer, they'll look real fly. Instead of turning off at 9 or 10, they'll turn off at like 2 or 3 a.m. And then, then you'll really know. But you know what? Instead, David, actually, you should just buy better solar panel uh, uh, batteries. That's what you need. Just cons- buy more, obtain more. Man, is this not the season of this, uh, this false lie of consumerism that you are what you have? Man, okay, just wait, Chris, I can get these things, or I need to give these things to people so they have it because then I'm valuable or the world makes sense in what they have. Pragmaticism, it's the story that tells you whatever works must be true. That works for you, that's, that's true. I had a guy say it to me recently. It's like, all right, it's all life. Just whatever makes you happy. As long as it's in your lane, you know, makes you happy, it's fine. Whatever works, you know? Whatever works must be true. False narrative of pragmatism. Postmodernism. <laughs> this is interesting. Uh, there is no big story. There's nothing beyond you. There's nothing, there's nothing really out there. All experiences and stories, they're equally valuable. It's like, it's like there's, there's no greater connective force here. It's just, it's just you. Whatever you think. You do you, bro. Perfectionism. You must be perfect, good, and right in order to be accepted. Whatever you think is perfect, whatever you think is good, it's a narrative that creeps in, becomes the heartbeat, the drum of our life. You must be perfect. You must be good. Amer- here's, a, here's a complex one. You ready for this? American civil religion. Or you, you guys have probably heard moral, uh, moral therapeutic deism. It's okay. Shake your head if you haven't. You understand this concept, though. Uh, it's this idea that says, hey, let's just neuter Christianity. Let's take away all the harsh parts. Let's, let's reduce the Bible to what makes sense and what feels good. You start seeing overlap between some of these, right? And so, so yeah, Christianity is probably true, but there's parts of it that are not a less true. So let's kind of, let's not, uh, let's ignore those things and let's find a cultural, a new version of Christianity that fits rightly into our, our modern day culture, be our American Western culture, right? Or whatever in uh, the culture of the time. There's the narrative of secularism. It's a story that tells you the natural world we're living is all that there is. There's nothing supernatural at all. It can all be explained by science and nature. And if you study hard enough, and if we have enough scientific discoveries, we'll fully make sense of the world and we'll never have any other questions. These things might be a turnoff for you. You might just like, ah, I don't want to mess with that. Jesus says very clearly in John 8, 
The devil is the father of lies. And Paul cares so much about you not conforming to the pattern of the world. He's willing to sum up everything he spent 11 chapters saying to say, hey, because of the mercies of God, you know what you should do? Sacrifice everything to the Lord. Don't conform to this world. All these stories are endless. I mean, there's so many stories that come in and they're all lies. I struggle with them. You struggle with them. This is why Jesus goes out of his way to define the devil as the father of lies. And the the devil's good at using the world, the flesh, and the devil to spin these lies. Man, how will you ever know what your TikTok feed's actually doing to the lies that you believe? Do you think it's possible? Those of you who are just so in love with with what needs to be consumed by some flickering pixel, like me, because it's so alluring. Like, gosh, I got to figure out what this guy did with this weird woodworking video. And then 15 videos later, you realize you've wasted an entire evening watching useless videos. Like, you're so enthralled by those things. Is it possible that this same God you believe in, that he means it when he says that there's a father of lies and that these things in this world could be working to pull you away from him? Like... (laughs) I love you. Quit being so arrogant. Quit pretending like God figured out. The first time sins mentioned in the Bible, it says it's crouching at your door. It's ready to devour you. And we walk around like we've got it all figured out. Oh, I control my TikTok. I control my Netflix feed. I control my Facebook account. These things don't control me. I don't have any false narratives. Come on. Like if there was an enemy and he was trying to distract us and pull us away, how would he do it? It would have to look like consistent information coming at us over and over and over to distract us and pull away. And we look back in history and we make fun of people who make foolish decisions. Oh, how did those idiots get into World War II? Why would they ever have followed Hitler? Come on! How are you doing the same thing? These lies, these false narratives are all around us. In my life, I struggle to follow this pattern, this equation that says what I do Plus what people say about what I do or what they think about what I do, that equals my value. It's a huge struggle of mine. In fact, I can trace every argument, every tension in my marriage, every tension of my kids, every, every time that I've, I've fallen deeper into addiction or suicide ideation or whatever problems have ever been in my life, it comes back to this equation. I have this fundamental posture deep inside me that says, if I do the right things and you all or whoever's around me thinks and says they're good, then I have value. Yay, I've arrived. And it's never enough. There is not enough people that can say, oh, this was a really great sermon. Or, oh, you did this really great thing. Or, oh, thanks for how you helped my family. Or, oh, it was really great that you built this thing. There's never enough. Because that's how false narratives work. That's how idols work. They demand more and more and more from you. And they give less and less and less until it consumes you and it kills you. This is how evil works. And Paul cares so much that we're not conforming to these things. The true equation looks something like this. What Jesus has done and who he is, the gospel, plus nothing, nothing else. Jesus alone equals your value. This is why we say, look to Jesus. Like, I might be the best public speaker in Jeff City. It doesn't matter. It's a resounding gong if I'm not looking to Jesus. You might be the best Christian servant here in Jeff City. It doesn't matter if it's not looking to King Jesus. Because there's a father of lies. And and at risk of continually putting this, this... Uh, insecurity in your life. I must shepherd you. I must implore you because I love you. There are false narratives. Please be open to them. Please ask the Spirit to reveal to you, man, what false narratives am I believing? Because there are people who knew the Bible better than you that struggled harder than you. They completely missed it. How will we know? We don't conform to the patterns of this world. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind. The gospel steps in as the ultimate truth. Do you want an ultimate truth? 
Look to the gospel. So I would say, look to Jesus. Jesus says that if you abide in him, this is what he says in John 8. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will know the truth and the truth will, it will set you free. Why? Because these false narratives capture us. They enslave us. I'm never ending trying to perform and be good enough. So Nikki finally loves me. My kids finally think I'm a good enough dad. And I can finally deadlift enough weight. And I've actually maybe lost enough weight. No, I'm a little pudgy from eating tons of junk in Springfield this week. I'm never, ever not doing more, more, better, better. The gospel sets me free. King Jesus sets me free. Because then I can say, on my worst day, I'm Christ and David. I'm robed in righteousness. I'm made new. I'm a new creation. And so what you have to say, what you have to think, I'm not acquitted by you. I'm not acquitted by your thoughts. You're not acquitted by anyone else in this room. It's only King Jesus. One of the best things that could ever happen to any of us is if all of a sudden we're in church and boom, this screen just starts playing or the five o'clock news starts playing all your sins, all the things you're trying to hide, these false narratives you believe, all your trauma, just boom, everyone sees it. Like, oh man, now I'm outed. But then we can't hide anymore. Then all of a sudden we have to be honest with each other and we have to open our hands and say, man, Jesus must be who he says he is. If your sin is hypothetical, your Savior's hypothetical. But if you have real sin, you must need a real Savior. We must get real with who Jesus is and that we need him. Jesus said, if you abide in me and you abide in my words, you will know the truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for me. John 14, 6. So he says, don't conform to this world. Those patterns, those schemas, whatever it is. And maybe for you, that right now, maybe the practical action is you recognize, what would my life be like if I deleted TikTok for a week? What would my life be like if I decided I don't need my phone for a week? People went centuries without cell phones. Maybe I don't need it. Is this thing controlling me? Is my desire to make everyone happy controlling me? What would it look like for me to set those things aside for a week, for two days? Maybe that's where you start to find where these false nerves at. How are you conforming to the patterns of this world? What I think is so interesting about the language Paul uses here about being transformed by the renewing of your mind is it's not, a, uh, it's not an imperative that says, you got to go do that. He's saying that because of the mercies of God, he is transforming your mind. It's the same language Jesus used when he says, repent, Mark 1.15. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That word repent means to rethink about the things you think about, to have a change in your mind. The language Paul cares for you to understand is you're not conforming to this world. You're allowing King Jesus to change your mind. So your posture right now, church, my posture is not to just check off all things. Okay, I watched too many videos on this social media this week, and I stared at the wall doing nothing too much this week, and I didn't pray enough this week. No, that's not your posture, because that's ultimately self-serving. That's you deciding how good you have to be so that you can be good enough. It's a trap. That doesn't set you free. What sets you free is to look to Jesus and say, I need you to transform my mind. Our God loves us enough to boldly tell us, your mind is wrong. It needs changed. I love my kids enough to tell them. That's the source of parenting, is it not? I love you. Your mind's wrong. It needs to look here. This is what's right. So what? So you will discern the will of God. What is the will of God? Uh, there's, I had so many scriptures where there's a few times scripture where it says, this is the will of God, right? Um, uh, and, and there's ways we can work that out. But in general, the will of God is a catch-all term in scripture for the way it ought be. A world in which God's glory is shown and everything he desires to be happening is what's happening. So do some philosophy with me here in a minute. This is, this is really quick. Think through this. If there is a God, and there is, and he is above you, which he is, and he knows more than you, which he does. Then, 
It only follows that the best possible world you could live in is a world in which this God, who's bigger than you, knows more than you, is leading. It's simple. It's not hard. This is exactly where Paul's going. This is the whole idea of the kingdom of God. This is the appeal that the Israelites are supposed to make as priests. They're supposed to pull people in. This is what the prophets are declaring. There is a God that's above you. He knows the way you should live. Are you looking to him? Or are you still trying to do the Genesis 3 thing of, you could be like God. You could decide good from evil. Are you comfortably living in your false stories? This is why Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. This is why we pray so much in church. God, may your kingdom come and your will be done. Because there is a kingdom and it's not yours. And there is a will that is above yours and better than yours. We must submit that to Jesus. Otherwise, how do we know what's good? How do we know what's right? We're never shot. The truest story is the will of God. The truest story we know is Jesus Christ. How will you know? How will you know any of these things? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. There's lots of ways we can respond to this church. There's so many more things to be said. What false stories are in your life? What false stories are in those you love in their lives? How would you know? God is above you. God knows everything. You must look to him. If our posture is constantly looking around, navel gazing, holding and hoarding, having tight our ideas, I am what I have. I need to figure out this week, this day. It's all about me. It's all about my family. It's all about my church, whatever it is. If we're not looking to Jesus, we've got a shot. And Paul wants you to know, by faith you are saved. You're saved for his kingdom. So sacrifice everything for his kingdom. Maybe that's where you stop today. You say, man, I, I've probably got some false narratives. Quit saying TikTok. It makes me angry when you say it. Whatever it is, whatever's going through your mind, right? Maybe you're sick of just the preacher talk. Oh, all the pastors hate social media. Well, I'm old now, so I dislike it more and more, I guess. But uh, how would you know? Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. How would you know? Look to Jesus. Maybe you've never accepted Christ. Maybe you, you haven't made peace with God. Maybe you would say, I don't have a right relationship. Yes or no? Are you right with God? Yes or no? Are you going to spend eternity with Jesus? Yes or no? Are you constantly trying to do it on your own to gain control? Or do you peacefully live in the understanding that the gospel covers you through your faith in Jesus? That Jesus is everything. If the answer is anything but yes, maybe you don't know Jesus. Thank God that he's given you this moment to hear his gospel again. He loves you. He wants to have a right relationship with you. So much so that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in King Jesus won't die, but they'll live forever with the Lord. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you need to give your life to Jesus. We've been showing this slide a few weeks. It says what we're saved from, what we're saved for. I want to throw it up one more time because maybe this is what you need to be thinking about. You are saved from your sin, rebellion, death, and eternal separation from the Lord through your faith in King Jesus by faith alone. That's what you're saved by. His life, death, and resurrection. That's what you're saved from. But you're also saved for something. 
And this is what we miss out on so much because we get so personal. We want to be in control of our own destiny, right? We have this individualism, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Whose happiness? My happiness. So now I get to be happy because I'm saved from my sin. Poop. No. The gospel is not just what you're saved from. That neuters the gospel. That's a lie. The gospel is also what you're saved for. You're saved for his kingdom come and his will be done. That kingdom is a kingdom of people. Look around. Those who believe in Jesus. His kingdom, his people, the king of people, just like you, a new humanity in Christ. You are called to live life together with them authentically with Christ, in Christ, and for Christ. Maybe you haven't been saved from your sin, from rebellion. Maybe you're struggling with what you're saved for, and, and you haven't joined a church. You don't really connect. I don't know what God's trying to tell you this morning. But I hope as you wrestle through these things, we have this time response that you're able to open your hands and decide, man, am, am I struggling with these false narratives? Are there places in my life I'm not conf- that I'm not being transformed, that I'm conforming? If you've never given your life to Jesus, I'm not going to walk you through some magic prayer, but I'm going to tell you it's pretty simple. It says we're saved by faith alone, by his grace. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart God raised from the dead, and you will be saved. And so this morning is your time to open your hands and say, Jesus, I need you. I need to be saved by you. And if that's the decision that you're making this morning, I want to talk to you about it. We want to talk to you about it. We're up here, or grab someone next to you. God will move you right now. Say, I need to tell this person right now. Maybe that's your decision. Maybe you've never joined a church, and you're sick of hearing me talk about it every Sunday. Like, oh, gosh, quit telling me about joining a church. The reason we do that is because Paul says we're one body. Did you know that all these words we just read were written to a people? It wasn't to one person. Dear Roman. No, no, no. It was to the churches. It was going to be circular, all of them. Paul wants us to know that we are doing this. We don't conform to the patterns of this world. We do this as a church. You're called to be a part of a church. You're called to be a member of a church. I'm sorry if that offends you and you want to believe in some other free movement. Read the scriptures. How can they kick people out of something in scripture? What are they kicking them out of? How can they have certain groups they're responsible for? Because membership matters. You join a church for accountability for these things. Because we're all prone to wander, as we talked a few weeks ago. Because we're all going to struggle with false narratives. We need each other. I need people to preach the gospel to me. That matters. It matters when you're here. It matters when you show up to someone's doorstep and say, man, I'm struggling to follow Jesus this week. It matters when you text each other and say, hey, how's how's your relationship with Jesus going this week? How can I pray for you? These things matter because we're one body. I don't know your response this morning, but if you have no idea what you should be doing, as we sing this song, I encourage you to open your hands and ask the Lord to reveal to you the false narratives in your life. Say, how am I conforming to the patterns of this world? Allow him to reveal to you how to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Only Jesus can change your heart. Only Jesus can change your mind. Let's pray. God, as we wrestle through your word, as we try to make sense of these things, we, we pray, we pray your spirit would reveal it to us. Amongst all the things said, uh, all, all the, the passionate pleas that we read from Paul, the things that, that you lay in our hearts, we pray that you would give clarity in your spirit and that we would respond appropriately. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would reveal all the lies of Satan, of evil, of the world, of our flesh in this moment, that you would release the captive hearts and minds that are in this room, and that they would be set free by your word. Jesus, I pray that that if those who don't know you, they're watching from home in this room, that they they would put faith in you. You tell us, you reveal your truth to us, and we pray that that would happen. 
that you would guide us to respond, that we would choose to respond to you. God, we pray for uh, all the responses that are about to happen this time, that we wouldn't let this time be wasted, but your spirit would move in us. Thank you for your love for us, God. We want to see your kingdom come and your will be done in our lives, in this church, in the world. Give us humility to look to you right now. Speak to us as we open our hands. We thank you for your great love for us and for your word. If you need to pray, we'll be down here.